Today from the Global Lane, Hispanic prosperity, jobs and education for America's largest minority group. Hispanic Americans are not just about one issue. We've been pigeonholed for far too long. Morale in the toilet, but blue lives matter. Rallies showing gratitude for police, but not everyone is on board. More people are choosing urgent care centers over hospitals. Find out why. And the real battle for America's future is not in the streets. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. President Trump this month signed an executive order launching a new Hispanic Prosperity Initiative. The goal is to provide educational and job opportunities for America's largest minority group. His executive order creates a presidential advisory commission to help him advance Hispanic opportunities. One of the commissioners joins us now. He's Chris Garcia, former deputy director at the U.S. Department of Commerce. Commissioner Chris, good to talk to you again. The COVID-19 shutdowns have hurt everyone, but I know especially small business owners. How will this initiative help Hispanic Americans who've had their businesses shut down? Well, Gary, it's good to be back with you as always, and praise God for this uh, wonderful announcement uh, just uh, the last week and a half ago. This is a huge, huge deal because the president has created a new commission uh, that's, that's designed uh, to not just promote the educational opportunities, but also the, uh, the transitional and the, the economic opportunities for Hispanic Americans. So let's rewind a little bit and remember what type of economic environment we had prior to COVID. We had all-time low Hispanic unemployment. In history, we had never seen this many Hispanic Americans working. It was under 4%, and President Trump's economic policies drove those results. Now, today, as we look to recover and have a strong and prosperous recovery from the COVID virus, uh, this commission is going to be tasked uh, not just with uh, promoting the educational school choice opportunities uh, for Hispanic Americans, but also uh, making sure that as they transition from uh, K through 12 or higher education and into the workplace, that they have economic opportunities. And so uh, not just uh, not just the next generation, but the current generation, we're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of good things come out of this commission. Well, Chris, you had mentioned Hispanic unemployment was at a historic low uh, prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. So what has to be done now to bring those low unemployment numbers and work opportunities back for the Latino community? I think this goes not just for the Hispanic community and the Latino community, but also for all Americans. We have to have an incentive for Americans to go back to work. Uh, you know, we had a, a little bit of a lull because of the virus. We didn't really quite understand it. Uh, now we know that with safe practices and safe protocols, we can get Americans back to work. Um, after all, uh, we're going to see a much more detrimental impact. Uh, many more lives will be lost, many more lives destroyed uh, than would be affected by COVID if we keep Americans sitting at home, not working. So we have to have a safe reopening of the American economy. That's going to help not just small businesses, minority businesses, Hispanic businesses, but it's going to help everyday Americans. It's going to help America's corporate uh, workforce as well. Uh, because right now, we are not just facing an internal clash. We're facing a geopolitical uh, enemy, and, and that is in China right now. There's a, a big, big initiative uh, by the Chinese uh, Communist Party to uh, overtake the United States, uh, the Made in China uh, 2025 initiative, the Belt and Road Initiative, of course, 
taking over some of those key industries. And so one of the big pushes the president has that I think Americans uh, of Hispanic origin feed right into perfectly is bringing manufacturing back to the United States, making sure that we never have uh, this vulnerability so that if we have a, a, an even worse uh, catastrophe or natural disaster, uh, that China could very well cut off those exports of medical supplies. So making things here in the United States, putting Americans back to work, and that includes Hispanic Americans and all Americans. And education, Chris, that's that's the key, isn't it? That's going to be difficult, though, if schools don't open back up. I, I think many schools are looking to online learning, but what is the struggle like for Hispanic Americans? And I'm thinking especially those with uh, low incomes who may not be able to afford Internet access or need special uh, attention in school in a class. That's a very good point you raise. I mean, not everybody has access to a high-speed Internet, and it's, and it's unfortunate, but... Uh, what tends to happen is Americans of uh, minority background or minority origin, uh, African-Americans, Hispanic-Americans have uh, less access or, or reduced access to high-speed internet. And so uh, being able to conduct classes remotely is, is also an issue. Let's also talk about the, the, the need for childcare. Many parents are gonna have to go back to work full time. And as we do that, we have to you know, uh, account for the, the, the latchkey uh, kids that are gonna be at home by themselves. Um, and, and with no supervision to look over, uh, you know, their work and make sure that they're attending classes. And, you know, uh, so there's, there, are, there are several considerations uh, that, we, that we see here. Um, but what we've got to do is make sure students are back in school safely. Um, but we've got to have a safe reopening of the economy and a safe reopening of our schools. Presidential critics, I know, will say it'll be hard for President Trump to win over Hispanic voters in November because he's building a border wall in California, taking a tough stand on illegal immigration. But I know some Latinos that I've talked to actually think he may win more votes because of those positions. What do you think? We consider ourselves Americans first. Uh, that's why we're here in our, in our great country. Uh, we, we put the values of the United States before the values of other nations, uh, or, 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 or before the interests of other nations, I should say. Uh, you know, really, uh, Hispanic Americans, Latino Americans, really understand the, the the communist or the socialist policies of the lands that we fled from, uh, and and how detrimental that they are. Uh, and so, we want to be sure that we have a, a country here that um, is not just about. Uh, and, and again, Hispanic Americans are not just about one issue, you know, illegal immigration or immigration. No, that's, we've been pigeonholed for far too long. We, we care about uh, school choice. You know, every parent should have the right to, to decide where their child goes to school. Uh, you know, deciding not just on, based on where you live, but where the parent feels that their child will have the best education. We care about jobs. We care about being able to grow our businesses. Uh, you know, Hispanic Americans are, are, are American uh, patriots through and through. And so it's not just about immigration. It's about, you know, all of the other things that, that we have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, creating jobs, making sure that things, uh, you know, are, are working for everyday Americans and not just Wall Street. Okay, a big task ahead for President Trump's Advisory Commission on Hispanic Prosperity. Commissioner Chris Garcia, thank you, Chris, for joining us. Good to see you again. Thanks, Gary. Police run out of a precinct station in Seattle. Portland rioters set the police association building ablaze. Major cities around the country defunding the police. Growing hostilities against the men and women in blue. And it's so bad that one union official reportedly said police morale is now, quote, in the toilet. 
Prager University is hoping its national initiative, the Back the Blue campaign, will spread a message of gratitude and appreciation for law enforcement at a time when it's needed the most. Well, here to explain is Prager U's Will Witt. Will, first I've got to ask, what happened when you kicked off this campaign in Denver? I know conservative pundit Michelle Malkin and others were attacked. Tell us about that. Um, you know, I can't say for sure exactly what happened to Michelle Malkin and her being attacked, but I know that all over the country, people who are saying that they are defending the police are being attacked for their views. They're being attacked online as well. Go back to the other side. You touch her first. You get her first. You touch her first. Get her first. Go away. Don't touch. Get off. Get off. So it's a very serious thing. The issue has gotten incredibly polarized, and but we at PragerU, I mean, definitely believe that you know, despite the politicization of defunding the police, we want to stand up for what we believe in every single time. What was the response from Denver police after all the rally was there to show support for them? Yeah, well, we've seen this in a in a lot of things. Also, with you know the rioting for Black Lives Matter, we saw some of the police going and kneeling with some of the protesters instead of actually you know stopping the protesters. So. There are things that are happening that aren't always the best, but we support the police and whatever they do. You know, I did a video where I went to a college campus and a student actually called the cops on me for apparently my ideas were threatening him and they were fear mongering. But the student was shut down basically by the police who said this is a First Amendment issue. And this other person, being me, was able to come to this campus and speak his mind and say his ideas. That's how all police officers should uphold the Constitution, uphold the First Amendment. We need to have that in our country. That's why America is the greatest country, because we have a First Amendment like we do. I know we've seen efforts on college campuses to silence speech that leftists don't like, but now it seems this is going beyond the campuses into the public streets. So what should be done about it? Things are getting worse. It's getting more polarized than ever. I think people are starting to, as well, mistrust the media a lot more. So a lot of opinions are, are flying out very passionately. But I don't think that things are going to start getting better until conservatives themselves actually stand up. The left, is it's so easy for them to stand up and say what they believe. It's the popular viewpoint to have in America today to be a leftist. Look at Hollywood. Look at the mainstream media. So it's very important that conservatives actually stand up for what they believe and so that we can fight back against them trying to silence us. Defunding police, overrunning and burning police stations, disrespect for police. I know statistics show only 1,000 fatal police shootings, people of all races, out of more than 60 million annual encounters with police. So what is this really about? Well, they say it's about defunding the police, but in reality, it's a Marxist agenda. You can go to the Black Lives Matter website and you can see clearly on it that they say they want to disband the Western nuclear family. This is not about George Floyd anymore. This is not about police brutality. It is about power for these people, and it's about instituting their leftist agenda. And the Back the Blue campaign, what kind of feedback are you getting from police officers and from those who peacefully attend? The campaign has done incredibly well so far. We've been able to reach a lot of people, and the main goal, again, of the campaign is to show police officers that we support them. And we've gotten many messages from police officers thanking us for what we're doing, thanking us for actually standing up when they've gotten so much backlash from the mainstream media and the, all these protesters and people. So it's been incredibly successful, and we're very happy to be, a, to be the ones to start this movement. I hope that 
people start to wake up to the actual facts about what's going on with the police. I mean, part of our campaign isn't just showing love and support for the police, but it's also a, a factual campaign where, where we're putting out the real numbers, the real data on how the police are treating people in this country. So with the amount of people who are sharing our posts, the amount of influencers and notable people and just, you know, millions of hardworking Americans across the country, we're hoping that these facts get out to people who wouldn't have heard them before and are actually having their minds changed on the issue. And I think it's working. Okay, encouraging Americans to stand up for law enforcement and show appreciation to those, the vast majority of which actually protect us. Will Witt, Prager U's man on the street, thank you for your time, Will. Thank you. Have you ever been treated for an injury or illness at an urgent care facility instead of a hospital? Well, a new market study predicts urgent care facility growth will rise 5.2%. By 2025, some patients say they like the price transparency that many urgent care facilities offer. They also like the shorter waiting periods for urgent care. Well, here to set us straight on this latest health care trend is Joel Noble. He's director of public policy at Samaritan Ministries. Joel, as we see COVID-19 cases rising again, can people be tested at urgent care facilities? How viable are those as alternatives to hospital emergency rooms of people suspect they may have coronavirus symptoms. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Uh, that is definitely a, a great option. Um, as these quick care and urgent care places um, are being become a lot uh, better options, uh, cheaper options, uh, especially quick care clinics that um, don't require insurance. You can still use insurance, and uh, but you just have to go through the process yourself uh, by filing it, and that helps keep the cost low. That's why a lot of these places can uh, provide, you know, like ear, nose, throat, and other services for very low prices, sometimes, you know, $30, $40, uh, because they've, you know, gotten out of all the overhead that insurance requires. So it, it's a great option. And especially for members of healthcare sharing ministries uh, like Samaritan, uh, it's a great option uh, for a, a low cost alternative to having to go to like a hospital or emergency room. Well, I'm just wondering because I know some people have to actually schedule their COVID-19 tests. And then by the time they have the test, they get in maybe a week after they originally scheduled it. And if they had to be quarantined because they have it, then it's almost time is up. Well. Uh, so what do you what do you know about that? What can you tell us? Are, are do they have tests there? Are they doing testing? I know a lot of places are, and I would also you know suggest places um, like drive-through uh, clinics. Um, look in your local area. It's not always every Target or every Walmart, uh, but there's a lot of options um, outside of even quick care clinics. Um, I know here locally, um, there's drive-through options at um, our local uh, event center um, that has large parking lots they set up. And so all that information is usually available through your um, county health department or your state health department can uh, give you locations outside of uh, traditional locations like hospitals or emergency rooms. And so the private industry has uh, um, stepped up a lot uh, places like Walmart, Target, uh, CVS, Walgreens, places like that are, are great options outside of, you know, hospitals and traditional providers. On the issue of price transparency, I know when you go to a mechanic to work on your car, they usually provide you with a cost estimate. I don't see many hospitals doing that. Why don't they? And do most urgent care centers provide cost transparency? 
Yeah, um, places outside of hospitals are much better about price uh, transparency. Um, a lot of it is around uh, just negotiated rates, and we're seeing a lot of that with the latest executive order from the president and the hospital association insurance uh, providers pushing back against that, uh, partly because um, if everyone knew what the price was, everyone's going to want the lowest price, uh, which you know is uh, you know what we would what we'd all want. Uh, like you mentioned, healthcare is one of the few areas where you don't know the price. Um, the analogy has been used a lot of imagine going to the grocery store and not knowing what that banana is going to cost. And uh, it could cost a uh, dollar um, or, you know, if you're with a large Fortune 500 company, it could cost you only a quarter. If you're over 65, maybe it's 35 cents for that banana. But you don't know. And it's different for everyone depending on your circumstance. And that's kind of how healthcare is. And if we can get it opened up with price transparency, um, it would still allow for negotiated rates. And uh, you know, depending on the size of of the group that you're in, uh, still allows for that. Uh, but um, you know, getting uh, some consistency uh, in pricing is what we need. And uh, especially for members like Samaritan who don't have insurance, who are directly sharing with each other, to be able to know the price going in uh, would be extremely helpful just to get a fair price uh, compared to insurance. And what about home health care? I know more people are choosing that over hospitalization, but isn't it expensive? Home healthcare can be, but uh, alternatives like telemedicine, uh, dial a nurse, um, opportunities like that have greatly increased during the pandemic. Um, we at, at Samaritan, uh, we had telemedicine and dial a nurse, and there was a small fee for that, um, especially for the uh, you know dial a doctor. And we've waived that uh, you know now during the the pandemic. And I know even uh, insurance is starting to, uh, you know, make that free because a lot of times to be able to, you know, just dial a nurse, give her your symptoms, talk to a doctor. And, you know, we've seen during this pandemic uh, the, you know, the range of technology. Um, you know, most of our meetings now are, are done, you know, via video and to be able to even Skype or Zoom uh, with your doctor, your nurse and, uh, you know, or even send pictures via, via text of, you know, of, of your condition. Um, all that drastically lowers the price if you can stay out of sight of a, a facility. Okay, a lot changing on the healthcare field. Joel yeah. Noble of Samaritan Ministries, thank you for setting us straight today, Joel. Thank you for having me. America's in the midst of a conflict, and it's not the one we're actually seeing played out in the physical realm in the streets of some of our major cities. This is a spiritual battle, and it's no longer about black lives and justice or protecting people from the coronavirus. It's an anti-church, anti-Christian spirit that is rising its ugly head across our country. Just days after a 250-year-old Spanish mission was set on fire in Los Angeles, Governor Gavin Newsom announced Christians could no longer gather for Bible study in their homes. It comes after his earlier decree prohibiting people from singing praises to God in their churches. Newsom says 
It's only about protecting Californians from the spread of the coronavirus. The Liberty Council has filed a lawsuit in federal court on behalf of Harvest Rock Church and Harvest International Ministry. They're seeking an injunction and an expedited hearing. They contend the governor's action is unconstitutional because he's prohibiting life group Bible studies in homes, while at the same time, he's encouraging mass gatherings and protesters throughout the state. Let me remind Governor Newsom of what the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution says. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble. This includes gubernatorial decrees, and there are no exceptions, even during a pandemic. You cannot allow people to gather for protests in the streets, but not in their homes. What's next, Governor Newsom? Requiring people to hang your portrait on living room walls like President Xi is doing in China? Maybe that's where you got the idea. The Chinese Communist Party's very good at restricting house churches. And I know, I've attended a few, and I've reported about a lot of them over the years. Some people believe politicians who publicly express discriminatory attitudes against Christians only incite violence against them. During a one-week period earlier this month, vandals and arsonists attacked at least six Catholic churches across the country. In addition to that Spanish mission in Los Angeles, attacks occurred in Hartford, Chattanooga, Queens, Boston, and Ocala, Florida. And on July 11th, a man rammed his car into the front doors of the Queen of Peace Catholic Church in Orlando, spreading 10 gallons of gasoline in the church and setting it ablaze. Well, thank God none of the parishioners attending services at the time of the attack were injured. Well, police found and arrested a 24-year-old man just 20 minutes after that incident. The pastor says the building can be replaced. And John Noonan, Bishop of the Diocese of Orlando says church members forgive the man who set fire to their building. The whole message of the gospel is redemption, forgiveness. If we don't have forgiveness in our hearts, then what are we filling our hearts with today? Do we hear God? Are we listening? And the question today is, where is the good news? The good news is in the gospel. The good news is Jesus Christ. Good news indeed, true freedom. And we cannot allow it to be suppressed by government decrees or the evil actions of vandals and arsonists. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Twitter, and now on Parlor. And until next time, be blessed.